From the Gospel according to Matthew, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Amy and I uh, were away last week for our 10-year anniversary, and it was the longest that both of us had been away from the kids. And so, I don't know if you, you've you know, been in that situation, but as we're explaining our trip to them, they, they asked us with kind of equal parts concern and excitement, you know, well, what are we going to be doing? You know, the house to ourselves, like, what does that look like? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, right? I'm a dad. I want to kind of, you know, stir things up. And so, you know, I'm like, all right, well, what would you guys want to do? What are you going to do for the next four days? Now, my oldest, like most oldest, like, he's really dutiful, right? So he had no idea. He's like, I, I guess I'll probably follow the rules, maybe make a few extra rules for my little brother, right? Maybe a little, little tyranny there. That's fine. Um, but he, didn't, he wasn't, you know, didn't have that many ideas. But my youngest, he was ready. What are you going to do? He's like, <laughs> eat candy every meal, eat candy all the time, uh, scooter in the house, uh, no bedtime, no showers, whatever I want to do right? I mean, that's exactly like my little miniature anarchist. Um, you know, but, but there's this idea, right, and this idea in Scripture, we find it in the book of Judges, you know, with no king in the land, everyone does as they please, right? Whatever is right in their own eyes. But is that really such a bad thing? I mean, I joke about my kids, right? I mean, they're kids, but, but do we as sophisticated adults, we as, you know, sovereign individuals, do we really need a king? And as Americans, right, like what even is that? What even is a king? Well, I've got three points for us today on this Feast of Christ the King. The first point is the king's justice. The second point is the results of rebellion. And then the third point is thy kingdom come. The king's justice, the results of rebellion, and thy kingdom come. So point one, the king's justice. Have you ever done a, um, I think it's called a word association or free association, right? You say a word and whatever you come up with is kind of that, you know, what goes with it, what you think of it. Well, when I say king, what image does that invoke for you? If I say king, what does that do for you? For some of us, it might be, you know, tyrant, maybe, maybe privilege, power. Has anybody seen that show, The Crown? It might be, you know, scandal, right? It might be, you know, this, this unearned kind of undeserved relic of a bygone age, right? We're down to, I, I look this up, there's like something like, depending on who you ask, 197 or 249 countries, um, only seven of which are absolute monarchies. That means only seven of which still have that idea of power and authority as king. When you think of them, what do you think of those places? Are they backwards? Have they not quite figured out the right way of doing things? What do we think of when we think of king? You know, baked into our culture as Americans, there's this aversion, even a distrust of monarchy. Our founding hero was George Washington, right? And, and he famously, he, he, was, he rejected the crown that when it was offered to him. He wanted to be known as an ordinary citizen. No kingship for him, thank you very much. And as Americans, this can also affect the way that we think about Jesus. 
right? Some people's ideal Jesus isn't this king that sits enthroned in glory. It's a revolutionary or a folk hero or even just one of the guys. And sometimes even we as Christians forget because of our context that, that even though Jesus came to earth in humility, he did ascend back to the throne. And that's, for, that, that's a good thing for us. It's a good thing that Christ is our king. But why? What's a king's actual role? Like, what does a king do? Well, a king's role is to establish and maintain a sense of justice. That's what a king does. To ensure a justly ordered society. Now, when we think of justice, we might think of like lawyers and courtrooms and anybody watch Law and Order? That was a big thing, right? Dun dun, right? Like that's what we think of when we think of justice. But justice is so much more than that. That's just one part of justice. That's just a tiny sliver of justice. Justice is so much bigger than that. In the Bible, the Hebrew word translated as justice is mishpat. And it simply means, catch this, a place and a time when all things are in their proper order and everything is related to one another in the correct way. Do you see? Everything is functioning as it should. All relationships are functioning as they should. That's what justice is. When I go to the chiropractor, I'm hoping for justice, right? And what I mean by that is all I'm hoping for is that, you know, someday I'll stop letting my kids jump on my back and I will get it aligned properly. That proper alignment is justice. Or, when our families are sitting around the table at Thanksgiving and no one is arguing politics or being passive-aggressive or walking on eggshells, you know, the hallmark Thanksgiving where everyone relates to one another in the correct way, that's justice. Everything in, their proper, in its proper place. And when we experience that, we might call it heaven on earth. You heard that phrase? Maybe you've used it. Justice is heaven on earth. And we call it that because it's this moment of time in this particular place where everything is as it should be and every relationship is rightly ordered. And where, whether we realize it or not, we are actually genuinely manifesting, embodying, making present the Bible's idea of justice or a just society, even if it's for a moment, that we are living under Christ the King in the way that He would have us live. And what's the result of justice when everything's going right? It's peace. It's peace. Now again, baked into our, our culture, we may not have a lot of sympathy for Christian, you know, kingdoms of the past, but really that's what they were seeking to do. These Christian kingdoms, these Christian monarchies, for millennia, what they were, all they were trying to do was they were trying to conform more or less successfully, admittedly, to this biblical pattern. They were trying to bring about the state of justice or peace under Christ. When they prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, they actually meant it. They wanted that justice on earth. They wanted that peace, that kingdom. They expected to see Christ's just and merciful reign embodied through their own. That was the ideal. And they, they could even bring it about if their own hearts submitted to Christ's rule. 
Is anybody here familiar with the 28 prayer book? Maybe that's, maybe that's the one you grew up on. There's this wonderful prayer in there when we're praying for the, the whole state of Christ church in the world, and it says, you know, that, that we desire that God would, catch this, you ready? Direct and dispose the hearts of all Christian rulers to truly and impartially administer justice, to the punishment of wickedness and vice, and to the maintenance of Christ's true religion and virtue. Establish God's justice on earth. That's what we want. Then there could be not only peace with individuals, but families, communities, even societies as a whole. Then we can feel peace. But the problem with this, with this feeling of peace is, that, and it's my experience, I'm sure it is, you, is, your, is yours too, that this peace of God, this sense of justice, this everything working properly, only lasts for a moment, doesn't it? It's pretty short-lived. Eventually, like, you know, you could have, maybe you had the perfect Thanksgiving, but then that one, that one guy wanted to bring up the resentment that he had from 10 years ago when he was overlooked for something, right? And all of a sudden, the justice is shattered. The momentary peace is gone. The order is lost. You know, as much as we wish we could hold on to this peace, there's always sin, chaos, disorder that's on the prowl, that's looking for cracks to get in and disrupt this perfect peace. And there's a reason for that. There's a very good reason for that. It's because while we say that Christ is king, and we believe right now that Christ is enthroned, he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And his ascension, right? Father, uh, Father Rodriguez talked about this. He didn't marry Poppins his way up to heaven, right? He ascended to the throne. Christ is king. He has not yet brought the fullness of that kingdom to earth. We live in this bizarre temporary time where God has chosen, which is incredibly dignifying for us, to work through us, to establish His kingdom through us, through the ordering of our hearts and our families and our societies for now. We live in this transitory period of time, in this brief window in which we are all given the chance, catch this, to live as Christ's citizens or dissidents given the chance to live in rebellion or repentance. Which brings us to our second point, the results of rebellion. From the moment of creation, from the moment that God established His just and perfect order as king, there have, been, there have always been those opposed to His rule. You all familiar with a certain serpent in a garden? Right? Rebellion starts immediately. Disruption of God's perfect rule starts immediately. You don't make it very far in the Bible before you see sin entering the world, right? Rebellion against the king that leads to, well, chaos, strife, disorder. I mean, this was precisely the condition of the world when this, today's Feast of Christ the King, was instituted in 1925. You know we have parishioners older than this feast? Isn't that something? This feast was instituted in 1925. At the time, World War I, right, the war to end all worlds, if only that was the case, devastated Europe. Governments across the world were in chaos with revolutions in Russia, Mexico, China, and elsewhere. People were literally starving to death, and there was an overwhelming sense of helplessness. And people looked around at who to blame, and they repudiated the old order of Christendom, of the monarchies that had not lived up to the ideals they espoused. 
Now the Pope, Pope at the time, Pope Pius XI, he looked around at the world and, and he saw the rise of secular atheistic governments, this push of these new militaristic regimes, who, as he put it, desired to thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of public life, create societies like fascism and communism that didn't even attempt to order themselves after the kingdom of God, but something else entirely. And he reacted to that by instituting this feast, because what happens when Christ is no longer enthroned? There's chaos, disorder, rebellion, anarchy. And if you don't acknowledge Christ as king, it turns out that there's all sorts of different ways that you can properly order a society, right? Think of all the different ways that you can make a society. How about this one? Why don't we make a society like this? Y'all track with me? What if we make a society where the weak serve the strong? You know, Darwinian rules, survival of the fittest. We could build a society like that. People have tried it. That's, that's one way we could order society. Whenever I say things like that, by the way, I'm worried it's going to be like clipped out on YouTube, and then, you know, there we are. Um, that's one way we can order society. The weak serve the strong. Here's another one. How about a society... Instead of, instead of there being, you know, the great and the weak, how about we have one that's perfectly level? No one's allowed to become great. No one's allowed to be able to be recognized as better than anyone else for the sake of equity. That's one way we can build a society, right? Let's get rid of all testing. Let's get rid of all standards, all measurement, and just have everyone the same. That was tried too. Last one. We could also build a society where it's not really much of a society at all. People have no responsibilities to one another, no obligation toward any sort of society at all. Sorry, libertarians. That's one way we could build a society, right? Every man for themselves. You see, without Christ as king, without a divine objective standard of justice, there's no way to mediate between these different perspectives. How do you know what's right? And this just might sound like a society-scaled problem, right? Or it may just sound like some problem for faraway lands like Chicago or San Francisco or things that don't really affect us here, right? That's their problem. But it isn't. The confusion that reigns in the place of Christ is also worked out in our hearts and in our homes. It comes all the way down. You think that there aren't homes that are ordered such that the, weak that the strong bully the weak? Do you think that there are homes when no one's recognized for achievements because it might hurt someone else's feelings? There are homes when people don't even sit at the dinner table together because it's every man and woman for themselves? This structure works its way all the way down. And it leads to confusion and disorder and unrest when Christ isn't king. I mean, think about this for a second. Think about a time that you have experienced confusion, disorder, and unrest. It could be at work, could be in your marriage, could have been around the Thanksgiving table, a time when there was no peace. And ask yourself, was that time ordered after, you know, was that time ordered as though Christ is our king? Was that ordered under Christ's authority and example? Were people living out what Christ has taught us to live, following his commandments, honoring him as our king? Probably not right? Were people living in this manner, right? Just as Christ loved us and laid himself down for us, 
Did those in authority walk in humility and give of themselves? Did the authority lay down their lives in those moments of strife, strife and chaos and disorder? Probably not. How about this one? Just as Christ is to be honored and respected, were those in authority treated with deference and respect when there was chaos and disorder? No. Or this one. Just as Christ is gracious and merciful to us, was grace extended to others in that moment? Probably not. You'll see where I'm going with this. Acknowledging Christ as our King, living in this realm of justice, living is, is living just as He commanded us. Living in justice is living just as He commanded us, just as He gave us to follow as an example, just as He demonstrates to us. And if this is something that we are committed to, if this is something that we desire, if we desire to live with Christ as our King, if we desire the peace that comes from living as Christ as our King, well, where do we begin? How do you start such an ambitious project, right? I'm just one person. What can I do? Well, that brings us to our third and final point, thy kingdom come. So far, we've seen that Christ is king. Where he reigns, there's justice, the well-ordering of things and relationships, and there's peace. His kingdom manifest on earth. And if that's something we truly want, if we want to live as Christ as king, where do we start? Do I just say Christ is king? I've said it. Do I just feel in my heart that Christ is king? I've felt it. Or is there something that we can actually do to honor Christ as our king? Is there an, are there actions that we can take to honor Christ as our king? Is there some way that we can live in the world that demonstrates that Christ is our king? Well, where we can start looking at that question is, is in today's gospel. This is a passage that looks ahead to when Christ will come, when Christ will justify the whole world and set it right. And in our gospel, we actually find the measure of justice that Christ uses. What does Christ say about His justice in our gospel text? Well, I'm going to read two verses of it. You ready? This is the measure Christ uses. People respond to him and they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Here it is. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How do we honor Christ as king? We honor the least of these, our brothers. It turns out that if you want to build a just society or a just home or even start with a just heart, you begin by honoring the image of God that you find in people. You, got, you begin by honoring God's image, and that brings honor to God. After all, in the very beginning in Genesis, God tells us that we people are made in His image. And so when we honor his image found in the person sitting to your left and to your right, we are giving honor and glory to God. The honor passes through the image to the one for which it stands. Now, we know this intuitively. 
When a house is burning down, let me ask you, what is the first thing that people grab, hopefully after their children? What's the first thing people grab when, when a house is burning down? Do you know? Their pictures. It's not their jewelry. It's not their, you know, cash box or whatever they have. It's their pictures. It's their albums. It's the images of the people that they love. Now, do they do that because they like really, they was a, was a, you know, they really like the feel of like a Polaroid against their skin, right? Is that why they grab the image? They really love to just hold the paper of, of the picture? No, of course that's not why they do it. They do it because they love what that image represents. Would you agree? In the very same way, if we want to bring honor to God, if we want to show our love and respect and adoration of Him, we demonstrate that to His images, those people that were made in His image. Do you want a healthy society? It begins with honoring everyone made, everyone, not just the people that share your ethnicity or the people that share your social status, honoring everyone as people made in God's image. Otherwise, it falls apart. You want a godly home, a just home? Honor everyone in that house made in God's image. You want justice in a grocery store line at Publix? Honor everyone in that line at the grocery store as people made in God's image. God works through us to establish his kingdom. We do so by honoring him. And the way that he gives us to honor him that's right in front of us are the people made in his image. That's a big part, actually, of what we're attempting to do with this church and in our school. We here, and I, and I know this because I see it in the hearts of the parishioners here, I see it in the leadership here, something that I'm, I'm so happy about being a part of at Trinity is that we care for those in our community as Christ would care for, as, as we would for Christ himself. That in our school, and we're in the school every day, that we're teaching kids to love and respect each other as though they were love and respecting Jesus, showing that to him, other kids in his honor, and establishing that character. And by God's grace, we're working to make this place an outpost of the kingdom of God, a particular time and a particular place where justice is established, where there is harmony and there is peace. Advent's right around the corner, all right? And we're going to be talking about this, this, this day, this time that will come, as we see in our gospel, when Christ will return in fullness and set the whole world to rights, where he will establish his everlasting justice. But until that time, he has dignified us with this responsibility to bring heaven to earth, to spread the kingdom of God in our particular times and places, to establish his justice and peace by treating one another as we would treat Christ himself, by honoring our king through his images. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us this promise of a time where we will have everlasting peace, where all things will be ordered according to your design, Lord, where you finally set the world to rights. But we're humbled by the fact that in the meantime, Lord, you choose to work through us, that you choose to use us to establish outposts of your kingdom on earth, and that we can do so by treating each other with dignity, respect, by honoring the image and so bringing honor to you. I pray that you would work within us, that you would give us the strength and courage the love and care that it takes to begin ordering our own hearts, ordering our own homes, ordering our communities after the way that you have called us to live, with you as Christ the King above all. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.